Welcome to another episode of the Madonna Get Together. I am your host, Wayne, who's that girl just celebrated its 35th anniversary, as well as a league of their own in the Sistema Playground, celebrated their 30th anniversary, and of course, the erotica and sex book anniversary is coming up, and it was the 10-year anniversary of MDNA. There's, it's quite the year for anniversaries for Madonna milestones, um, including the 40th anniversary of Madonna's introduction to the music industry with her first single, Everybody. Well, we've got a special guest to help us go down under and help us celebrate Madonna's 40 years with an incredible article written for Australia's Women in Pop magazine. Paul Mitchell has been working in the media for over 20 years in both the UK and Australia and obsessed with pop music since a young child, inspired by Madonna's attitude of if you want something, you can make it happen through hard work, determination, and ambition, blonde or otherwise, and has always resonated with him. Please welcome the founder and editor of Women in Pop magazine from Sydney, Australia, Paul Mitchell. How are you, Paul? Hi, Wayne. I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said that you've been obsessed with pop music since a kid. Um, can you start taking me through that? Tell me like when you first started like really getting into music and of course, in particular, when you started getting into Madonna. Sure. Um, yeah, this question is, is always quite difficult for me to ask because the honest answer is I actually don't remember my life um, without pop music. Um, even from a, a you know, my earliest memories as a very, very small child, probably before I could walk or, or talk properly, um, was being kind of enthralled by pop music on on the TV when um, the TV was uh, the best place to, to discover pop music. It's, it's always been there and I've always been probably unhealthily obsessed um, with, with pop music. <laughs> uh, and of course, Madonna plays into that um, really, really quite heavily, as do all all or female um, pop artists, evidenced by the magazine. Um, right. I, I was always very much drawn towards female artists and um, singers and musicians and, and and actors and dancers and all that type of thing. Um, but with pop music, it, it was a real, a re- it really resonated strongly with me, the, the female artists. Um, and again, even from a very, very young age, I was very, very conscious of the fact that they were mistreated um, in in many many ways, yeah, uh, they weren't given the respect that they deserved. They were they were treated as second class citizens in many cases. They were considered as purely sex objects, and they did they weren't talented. They weren't particularly good at what they did. They were puppets and all this type of thing, and they were routinely ignored in award shows and TV shows and radio shows. If they're in a magazine, it was all about how pretty they were or what dress they were wearing or what boyfriend they have. Um, and and that always sort of fed into, you know, my my observations of, of pop music and my pleasure of it. But to your original question about uh, about my beginnings of my, my love of Madonna, uh, again, hard to pinpoint a, a a time it happened. I definitely remember being aware of Holiday, uh, Lucky Star, Borderline. Um, I have memories of you know seeing those videos, but but not really anything more than that um and it really kicked in for whatever reason again i don't know uh like a virgin when i was still fairly young uh that was a massive hit in australia as it was in most places it was number one for six or seven weeks uh her first number one in australia uh and that's when it really it really kicked off and and i can just remember from then on being a an an avid fan who um you know you know bought every single um, and, and really got into to all the music and I can still almost, you know, recount every lyric, every album track, every statistic of her, of her career um, um, in those early days. It's always interesting to hear everyone's journey of how they came to Madonna or even just music in general. You brought up a good point about women being mistreated in the music industry uh, and and why it's important, why you do that with your magazine, because I, I do want to talk about the article and I do want to talk about, um, you know, why you started this magazine and everything. Um, but, you know, I think it also, it, it didn't just come from male audience. I think it a lot of it also came from female as well, because I remember my mom, like, could not stand her. <laughs> she had the biggest aversion to like a virgin 
and pretty much everything that came after that. There was moments here and there where she would be like, oh, I like Live to Tell or oh, I like Vogue. Um, but once it got into anything slightly uh, sexual or risque, uh, you know, she just had this this thing like, no, that's not, she's not being a lady. Um, so I think, you know, our social culture previous to, you know, 2022 or, or back then, whether it's in the 80s uh, or 90s, you know, we had this social culture of, of everything that revolved around any type of sexuality was so taboo. Um, some of that has changed. And, and depending on the political climate of where you are, it's starting to come back. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to ask you how you feel like, you know, time has changed anything around that and, and how you feel about it now that you started this magazine that's dedicated to only women. And I want to kind of ask, like, how do you feel like the transition has changed or the evolution has changed over the years of, of how people feel about women and sexuality and giving mm. them their, their proper dues? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. Uh, in, in, in many ways, it has changed a lot, but in many ways, it hasn't changed at all. Um, and it, it, I guess it's also morphed into to other forms of prejudice, which may not have been prevalent, as prevalent in the 80s and, and earlier. Interesting what you said about, you know, your, your mother not appreciating the the sexuality of Madonna and, and her her over, overt celebration of, of that, and I think the thing about Madonna and why many people, I guess, railed against her or found her so confronting was that she was doing things that no one had really done before um, in terms of uh, her her sexuality and her persona and and the way she betrayed herself in music. She she challenged every single thing about society. Well, that's probably a bit of a reach, if I'm being if I'm being fair. She challenged so many things about society in the early 1980s. Uh, women in general were not encouraged to to embrace their sexuality or even to admit that they were sexual beings. It was just not acceptable for women to do that. Um, Madonna wasn't the first female pop star to uh, to be sexual. Of course, there was plenty of, of other women before her. I mean, someone like Debbie Harry and, and Chrissy Hine as well, who Madonna has named as, as influencers, yeah. were, were certainly were certainly doing that uh, long before Madonna came onto the scene. Um, I think Madonna just sort of amped it up um, 1,000 times. Um, Debbie Harry had this great quote she said a couple of years ago, which I love, and said that um, something online that she said, if I, if, geez, if I'd been smarter, I could have been Madonna before she was. Uh, she she <laughs> realised that... Um, that Madonna had done something that no one else had ever had ever really done before. Uh, so Madonna just challenged so many societal expectations of women, uh, and people did not like that because they felt threatened by it. Uh, that was a big part of Madonna's um, uh, the way people reacted so uh, unpleasantly towards her in a lot of ways. Is they just felt so threatened by her. She was doing something that they couldn't understand, and and and. It was confusing to them and they didn't like it. And so the natural reaction is to say, she's not a lady. She's terrible. What's she doing? She's corrupting our children. By doing what she was doing, she absolutely 100% fundamentally changed society for women uh, forever. Uh, I think what is often very, very underrated about Madonna is the, the sheer impact she had on society and the way society behaves. She was absolutely fundamental in the third wave feminism, which came in the 80s and 90s. She brought all that into the mainstream. And what, what's really interesting about her is that because she had such a massive audience and she had such a massive fan base, we all, men, women, everyone, we absorbed what she was doing, particularly when we were younger and we were more susceptible to these things. We absorbed what she was doing and brought it into our own lives and therefore made it uh, acceptable and, and standard behaviour. Uh, a, a young girl would have seen Madonna in the 80s, uh, you know, being ambitious, being, um, being strong, being powerful, being sexual, and she perceived that as being normal and so therefore she carried that into her life. And if you can right. imagine you know, a hundred million girls doing that over the world, it, it, it changes society completely. So Madonna had a huge impact on, on changing the way we perceive women. To your original question, if we look, if you really drill into it, 
there are so many things that haven't changed and so many things that are still exactly what they were uh, in 1982 when she first appeared in 1972 and 1962. Uh, and it, what's interesting is that it's not often something the, the general person will see. A lot of people will have this perception that, you know, we have we have women's rights, we have, you know, we've had female liberation, all these things happened. Women don't have it so bad anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's all changed now, which, which is complete nonsense particularly in the music world it, it's still very much a difficult uh, world for for women in the music industry um they're still routinely overlooked they're still uh routinely not given credit for their for their talent over the agency uh they they still have to to shout to have their voice heard in a room where men just have to whisper women are regularly compared to an, to each other i'm sure you're aware and everyone probably on this podcast listening to this podcast is aware of the number of women over the past 40 years that have been called the next madonna or she's just like madonna right. uh that that's a that's a hugely offensive thing to to take a, a woman's craft and, and, and art and artistry and just say she's just like someone else uh that that still happens regularly uh i just read the other day online in 2022 someone you know a journalist writing about an artist saying I'll, I'll use big names for example but saying something like oh beyonce would have would kill someone to, to have this song in her repertoire Again, it's it's suggesting that um, Beyonce isn't as talented as this artist, and this is the type of song that she would want, and she would be violent in order to get it. <laughs> and you would never, ever, ever hear that said about Ed Sheeran or or, or any male artist. Um, so those type of things are still uh, unfortunately happening. There has been a lot of change, but uh, it's um, nowhere near where it needs to be. Yeah, and I think uh, to your point, I think what something like that also does when you sit there and try to compare or nitpick other artists, things like that, is you're you're undermining their talent and their success, mm. which is is very unfortunate because you know it you're you're basically saying they don't have enough to be on their own yet they got to where they were because they were able to you know have that hard work and determination and ambition mm. and have that drive to be where they are only to just some random asshole on the internet just decides to say, Oh, well, she probably sucked someone's dick to get to where she was. And mm. you know, no one would say that about a guy. <laughs> no. No. And there is still this perception that women uh, don't actually write their music, um, that they don't actually produce their music. Um, they had a, co-writer or they had a co-producer yeah and i think you you did a great job and i want to start transitioning into your actual article from the women in pop magazine because you do actually and, and i made a note of this that that's one of the things you wrote in your intro paragraph and if i could read like a small snippet of it of um i want people to like hear how important it is that Madonna and other artists as well get their credit for contributing to their own work. I mean, they are artists and they do write, but you wrote as a songwriter and producer and of course a singer, she, meaning Madonna, has been responsible for some of the most iconic pop songs the world has ever heard. She is a true musical chameleon who has authentically inhabited different genres and brought underground experimental sonics into her music that changed the direction of mainstream pop. That section really just spoke to me in your article because it's like, okay, someone gets it and you you kind of lead with that in your article because I think it's important if someone starts reading this article and, and they see that part of it, they can, it, it makes them want, okay, well, let me learn a little bit more. Maybe I, maybe I didn't give her a chance. So I think it's important to for people to acknowledge and recognize that Madonna is more than just, you know, a moving picture on a TV or more than just on a magazine cover, more than just putting out an album of songs. She is involved in it. She is part of the process. She is a writer. She is an artist and she does contribute not only to just her own artwork, but the landscape of the music industry itself. Yeah. What's really funny about the public's perception of Madonna over 40 years is, and I mentioned this in the article as well, the one area of Madonna that is not really talked about that much is her music. And her music is every, has, is everything that's made her what, what, you know, the icon and the legend that she is today. 
but very, very little critical attention or even an analysis is given to her music. There's always something else um, that overshadows um, her music. And if you strip away everything else about Madonna and, and focus on the music, her music is incredible. It is some of the most expertly created pop music you are ever going to hear. And I'm a Madonna fan, so of course I'm going to say that. And <laughs> obviously music is very personal to everyone. And, you know, a great song can leave someone, push someone to tears and can leave someone completely cold. So, you know, there's obviously person personal uh, preferences that come into it. But I, I still stand by the fact that Madonna has created, you know, just genius music. It, it's technically brilliant. Um, it's melodically br- brilliant. Uh, it's all of those things. It's even... This is controversial in some circles, but her music is even vocally brilliant. Uh, her voice is not, you know, she's not Mariah Carey, she's not Whitney Houston, she is not a technically brilliant singer who could who could do opera at, you know, a, a Sydney <laughs> Opera House. Um, but there, there's there's something in her voice which makes it just as good as everything else because she's got this incredible ability to convey emotion uh, in her voice. Her voice is really emotive. Um, I mentioned this in the article, I think, um, is that uh, Borderline, one of her first sheer brilliant, uh, brilliance of a song, um, her voice is not technical, beautiful, and that is a bit raspy, but that's what gives it such genius to it. You yes. can feel yes. the unrequited love and the torment and the trauma in her voice. It's absolutely a a, a standout vocal performance um, without being technical perfect. Again, what's really interesting, and particularly when I was writing this article, it, it came to mind again. Looking back at her, her music over the years, today, to today's ears, it just sounds like pop music. But we forget that at the time, a lot of her music was so radical, it was so different sounding to everything else on the planet. It was really, really groundbreaking, but it sound, it doesn't sound like that, that today because everyone else then jumped on the bandwagon and saw what Madonna was doing and, and knew that they had to do this as well. So there was a lot of, um, she inspired a lot of other artists to create a similar sound, and that sound just eventually became part of the standard pop music sound that we have today. Um, and that's down to her. Right. Yeah. Obviously, other artists have influenced that sound as well, but because she was so massively popular and, and visible in the, in the music industry, um, she really led the forefront on the change in that area. Yeah, so I do want to transition and, and talk about this article. So Women in Pop, you created this magazine back in 2017. And um, I believe Madonna was your first cover. Uh, tell me about your process. Like, what were you doing beforehand, before you decided to create this magazine? And what made you say, you know what, I'm going to go in this direction and I'm going to create my own magazine for women? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I've always been obsessed with music and uh, I've always, you know, it's always been the main thing in my life, um, in all honesty. Uh, but I've also been always very been very interested in writing and I had written, you know, a few bits and pieces for publications here in Australia, uh, both in, in print and online. I really wanted to, to sort of push my writing further and, and get more involved in it and also have a bit of control over you know, my writing because uh, it's an, it's an int- incredibly tough game. Uh, and I, as I, as I became older, um, the, the, I guess, the disconnect between the talent I would see in female artists and the representation they were getting uh, was, you know, it was non-existent. There was no representation. And that played in my mind for a number of years. Um, and I really just got to a stage where, you know, it, it sounds really simple now, but it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. Is that well, no one else is talking about them. Why don't you? There was a couple of artists in particular that appeared in the first issue that I was really, really excited by and intrigued by, and I was just really blown away by their talent. I'm not suggesting they were the most talented artists ever in in the planet, but um, they really, re- their talent really, really intrigued me. And being <laughs> a bit naive, I suppose at the time, I thought oh, I'll just go on the internet and read all about them. And there was absolutely nothing. No one was talking about them. Yeah. Um, and I thought that's really, that's really wrong. And it generally just evolved into okay, I'm going to do this myself. And I went around in my head about what I should do. It should be an online site. But then I really love print. I love you know the feel of print. I love books. I have 
apart from music, my other drug is books. And I just love print and the way it looks. I love the way images look in print. Uh, and I know everyone says print is a dying media um, and maybe it was a crazy decision on my behalf, but I, I thought I'm going to do a magazine and I'm going to make it this beautiful, this beautiful thing. Uh, and I am going to, you know, my in grand kind of brilliant scheme to reverse the, um, the misrepresentation of women in, in music media. Well, I want to ask you to, since your magazine is based on highlighting women, the optics could be, okay, well, you're a man. So I would ask you, how do you navigate around maybe some criticism that you might face that, that you're a man kind of leading a, a woman's magazine and how, how do you navigate around that criticism and, and manage to ensure that you are um, being able to make sure that a woman's voice can be heard? Yeah, and it's a, it's a valid question and it's something I'm very, very conscious of. Um, and I, you know, I, I would never, ever want to be seen as, uh, you know, this man, mansplaining uh, what women are and, and how women should behave and what they should do and what's right and what's wrong. Um, that, that's always at the forefront of my mind. Uh, if I look at it from an artistic point of view, uh, the magazine was started purely because I love music, as I've mentioned a hundred times in this podcast, <laughs> and my passion has always been female artists, uh, and that's what I wanted to write about and, and talk about. Uh, I I realise, though, that whenever you are talking about women in general, there's there's always going to be a political slant to it and a social slant to it, and you have to treat those you have to treat that with a lot of respect and, and be very careful. Uh, I am and have always been a very strong feminist. Um, I, I strongly believe in the feminist movement and promoting that cause. Uh, I strongly believe you don't have to be a woman to be a feminist. I believe everyone should be a feminist, uh, as everyone should be a supporter of any group that is marginalised um, within society. Feminism and the gender equality and the treatment of women, like any cause, needs everyone on board to 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 make things better. Um, it might be a bit of a cliche, but feminism or gender equality doesn't happen without men. Um, men have caused gender inequality. Um, every single bad treatment you have against women in the music industry, 99% of it is because of men, uh, and, and men need to uh, redress that in, in their own way. The other thing about the magazine uh, is that we have a, a largely female-based staff, Every single article that goes to print is read and approved by a woman before it goes out, and a woman um, makes re any required changes. If if I've written the article, for example, and I write a couple of articles every issue, they will tell me you, it's not probably a great optic for you to say that word, or a woman <laughs> a woman probably wouldn't see that through that angle. So I think we need to change it to this, or they just say, "Yep, that, that's all fine," and, and tick it off. So. Um, and the magazine itself, even if we're looking down to images and, you know, the way the page is set out, for example, I don't want to say the word approve because that sounds a little bit, doesn't sound right to me, but um, <laughs> every, every single thing in the magazine is, is seen by a woman and is commented by a woman and I listen to everything they say. Um, if they say that word isn't, doesn't sit right with me, that word goes, um, even if I don't understand it or, or necessarily agree, um, but whatever the, the women on the team tell me... Um, goes into that magazine. So. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that that also helps you as a writer um, to, as future articles come and that you go in to write them, you kind of are, you already now have that optic of, of what feedback you've been given by your, your female staff to, to say like, that isn't probably something that would resonate well with uh a reader who might be a woman or that's not something a woman would think or say. So I would imagine that it would help you as you move forward in your writing career to say, okay, I know I can write that a little bit different the next time as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's certainly, um, you know, doing the magazine full stop has, um, you know, improved and expanded and I've learned so much about, about writing and also about music uh, as well. Uh, I don't think anyone fully understands the the depth and the scope of the talent in music made by women in particular um until they're they're you know in a in a role like this um it's it's mind-blowing how many talented artists are out there and things that before the magazine i probably would never have heard of um uh, it's really um it's also changed my 
both my writing style, as as you mentioned, but also my my take on music. Uh, you know, I'm I'm open to so many different types of music now that I probably wouldn't have got into before yeah. because um I just wasn't fully aware of them. Um, and and you've had a lot of major female icons on your covers. You've had Beyonce, Kylie Minogue, uh, Pink, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, Britney, Mariah, Rihanna. Like, what makes you choose who gets the feature, or or even you know maybe smaller artists that that don't get a lot of coverage? How do you choose who gets to be included in an issue? There's multiple ways we go about it. Um, probably the you know one is I like them, <laughs> and so it's my magazine, and they're going. That doesn't in. hurt. Yeah. yeah. So that that plays some some element uh, to it. Not you know I'm not saying it's 99 of the reason behind it, uh, but but that plays an element. Or or to my earlier point, someone on the team says to me, I've just heard. You know, this singer Jane, Jane Smith, she's great. What do you think? And we 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 look into it and we we do a feature on on her. Yes. Uh, we have a really great relationship with all the record labels, so they will come to us and say, "We've got this great new artist, A, B, and C. Would you be interested in talking to them?" Or uh, on the other end of the scale, we have well, not that this has ever happened, but I'll use his name as an example. We have Beyonce in town. Would you like to talk to her? Um, we're, ne- we're never going to get to talk to Beyonce, but um, <laughs> for, for well-established uh, artists, uh, you know, if they're if they're available for promo, the record labels will give us a heads up, and we can say yes or no. We nearly always say yes, um, and that will that will go into go into the magazine. Uh, uh, and it, it could just be we, we do tie a lot of articles around, I guess, events or anniversaries. So as you mentioned this year, there's so many Madonna anniversaries um, and the 40th one is obviously the biggest. So we'll, we'll plan in advance and we know that, well, I mean, I knew that Madonna's 40th anniversary was coming up in 2022 and that was always going to be an option for this, for this cover. Um, and we've also got Janet Jackson in this issue and it's also her 40th anniversary uh, this year of she released her first album in 82. Uh, so those type of things. Uh, last year we had uh, an interview with uh, Vicky from the Bangles uh, because it was the Bangles 40th anniversary. It's a big time for 40th anniversary. So we, we tie we tie articles around that type of thing as well. So we're always going to look in the calendar and thinking what's the anniversary this, this, this time around. Uh, in 2000. You was at 19, um, I wrote a, a big article on the 30th anniversary of Like a Prayer as well for issue issue six, the Like a Prayer album turned 1389, so we did a big feature on that. Um, so those type of things really um, play into to what we what we write about. Well, now i got to make sure I get issue number six <laughs> as well. Um, like a Prayer is my... Okay, well, that helps too. Awesome. Well, I think we've gotten to a point where I... I would love to talk about the article itself. Uh, I know we talked a, bit, a little bit about it before, but it's 40 years of provocative pop. I love a good alliteration. So um, I will say, you know, I don't buy a lot of magazines or books um, based on Madonna anymore. I, I kind of like transitioned out of that phase. However, uh, I want to make sure I get this one because you have essentially included information about her entire career its impact on our global society, the music industry as a whole, and created this beautifully written masterpiece. Like I would read an entire book if you wrote about it because you you don't leave anything out. You may not go into every detail about um, everything, but it still feels like, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. And, you know, I've read articles before, um, even if it's just like online, I was like, oh, they, they kind of like left out like a really important part of, you know, this was a very pivotal moment in her career and they left it out. So I think it's if someone who doesn't know about Madonna or someone who only knows a little bit about, a little bit about Madonna or someone who does know a lot about Madonna, I think they'll be able to get great value out of reading this article. Because, uh, again, you don't leave anything out for me as a, as a longtime fan. It makes me just kind of be able to 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 reminisce a little bit and like. And, and you, you do it in a, I like that you do it in a very linear way. Most articles will mention something about her past and then relate it in parallel to something that she's doing today. Whereas you mainly just focus like here is the, uh, you've, you've essentially written her, her screenplay, her, her <laughs> the narrative of her screenplay, like, you know, and, and then sometimes 
people will refer to things that she's doing currently and refer back to previous work. Mm. You don't really do that. You, you do a good job of making sure that different sections of the article, you go through like everything that happened within her first album, everything that happened within her second album and so, and so forth. So I really like that you do that. You help people keep focus in reading this article. And that's what I like about it because you just keep them on this journey. Uh, so I, I like to, understand like what is your writing process what made you write it this way or what made you feel like i cannot leave that out how do, how does that come about like in your head thank you for your words i really appreciate that um it's interesting <laughs> you, you say you would read a book because this article it nearly was a book almost because and and our poor sub-editor who had to work with me to, <laughs> to, to, to cut it down and 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 shape it and she must have gone crazy but i mean this article is only a fraction of what I wanted to go in it. In it. I, I mean, I, I had roughly 4,000 words in which to cram wow. in, in her career and the original draft was, you know, 10,000 words or something and I still had left a lot out. So we had to kind of pull it down. I think we even added in extra pages to accommodate it because I was like, I, I can't I can't go down any more than it is. We have to have all this in. Um, so in, in terms of my writing process for it, uh, you know, I, I always knew that I wanted to do to do something for the 40th anniversary in an article that I wanted to write. I didn't write the article in the first issue of the magazine, which was on the cover for, uh, but I, I, I knew I wanted to do something in the 40th. And I wasn't really sure how I'd go about it until, I guess, reasonably recently. And and it, it just struck me that, you know, it's fairly basic. It's a fairly basic premise, but, you know, 40 years, um, four decades, I'll, I'll have a, what was originally going to be a thousand words per, per decade, which would, would, would fit nicely across the, you know, allocated, what was at the time, 10 page, I think it's 12 now. Um, and that's where it started. But I realized fairly quickly that that wasn't going to, it wasn't going to happen quite <laughs> the way I wanted it to because I just couldn't shut up about how wonderful she was. Uh, and, and so it, it was always going to be, well, once I had that idea, it was going to be, you know, I'd break it out into decades. It also gave me something to focus on. And uh, as a writer, for me anyway, I could then, compartmentalize um everything and and not just write with no with no restrictions because i knew i would just never stop i knew <laughs> that at least i could i could focus on the period 1982 to 1989 31st of december 1989 and then go on to the next section and then do it like that it and it became quite clear as i was going through it that i naturally through her own career and and what was happening in her career that there was going to be a bigger focus on the earlier years uh mm -hmm. while she's never gone away uh, I think we could all argue that the 1980s and the 1990s were a far more active for, were far more active years for her than uh, the 2010s for example um, right. she, she was just far more part of the the cultural and musical scene in the 80s and and there's a lot more to write about um, for me anyway and than the, the 2010s so um, obviously I could write a ton on the 2010s but for me it was the 80s were far more important to, to I think, the music world um, than the, the 2010s. So it, it is skewed very heavily towards the first 20 years, um, but that just came about naturally through the writing. Yeah, and I would imagine that being a fan, you have so much in-depth knowledge already. How do you pair that with the structure that you need to write something of this caliber? Like what research do you, what research do you do? Or you do, do you even do research? Are you just like, is it just like free associated thinking? Like I could just write without even have to, having to think about things. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit there was very uh, there was not a lot of research into it uh, because, and I'm not saying that because I'm a sloppy writer. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I referenced this earlier on when I was when I first got into Madonna, and this still remains today to a degree. Uh, I've never been a Madonna fan or even a music fan, actually. Uh, who is sort of crazy about every little thing and buys every little thing. Um, I'm a, quite a bad Madonna fan in, in certain respects in that I've only really been to a couple of her concerts. Um, I don't have a lot of her merchandise. Um, I don't really buy her, her movies on DVD or anything like that. I don't buy her perfume. I don't buy her whatever her whatever else, else she's had out. It's always been strictly about the music for me mm -hmm. uh, and – I will buy every single format of every single thing she releases, but I don't really care about anything else. Um, and 
it was always about the facts about the music. So I can probably rattle off who wrote and produced every single song she'd ever released, but I wouldn't really know much about, um, you know, her concert tours, for example, what cities she went to in the Blonde Ambition tour or anything like that. Um, it's always been around those facts, around the music itself, that I, that just sit in my brain like some weirdo. Um, <laughs> I know every single thing. So when I'm writing about Madonna and and other artists as well, to be fair, it just it's just this library in my head that that, that comes out, uh, and um, it's it's fact checked by someone. It is all correct. I'm not saying it's make up things. It's just, <laughs> just in my head. And because I was so obsessed with her uh, from a younger age, I've this timeline of everything she did in the eighties and everything she wrote and everything she sung about and every music video, it's just in my head, like established fact. Yeah. So it just, just kind of comes out. What I did have to have to research more was, I guess, the, the things surrounding what ha- was happening at the time. So I didn't know a lot about her meeting with Seymour uh, Stein um, that I, that I write about in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was new to me. I thought it was fantastic when I was reading about it. Um, I, I obviously knew she went to his, his, hospital bedside but i didn't know a lot of the uh the details around it um so all that that type of surrounding um you know uh, facts um were, were researched for the article but if 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 i need to talk about her music or her music videos it just comes out <laughs> in verbal diarrhea onto the page um so i'm quite lucky um in that respect yeah it's just it's that osmosis of of just being there in the moment when it happened and remembering i mean i do a lot of that on this show where you know i'm talking to other fans about her work i might get something wrong because i might in my memory i remember it differently or the information that was out at the time was different like we have Mm. this thing now called the internet where Mm, you know so much information like you just have the Rolodex of information that's out there now where um, new information has been curated and, and everything is all together and categorized out there on the internet. Now you can find out what happened on, you know, July 20th of 1984 in her career versus you didn't really have that back then pre-internet days. So it's kind of, and it's great in so many ways, but also for people like us who just had the knowledge as we go through it, we, we don't have like, oh, this demo came out like five years ago, but it's from 30 years ago and mm-hmm. I'm just now hearing it. Um, so yeah. uh, I would say, you know, how do you feel like the digital age has changed maybe how you think of things or even how you might write uh, in like music journalism? I mean, the, the great thing about the internet and and music today online is that everything is available. That's actually good and it's actually bad in, in many ways. Uh, uh, I, I'm never one of those people, though, that want to say, oh, things are so much better in the 80s or in the 70s that, you know, music's terrible now and Spotify's terrible and all these type of things. <laughs> um, I, you know, I applaud anything that makes it more, makes music more accessible. I think that's brilliant uh, and also gives an avenue for more people to release more music. Um, it's certainly easier to release music today than it would have been in the 80s. 20 years ago, uh, or a little bit more maybe, you you had to walk into a library and and go through whatever they had available to find that information. And I love libraries, and I hope they're around for a long time to come. Um, but if I was doing this today, it would have been a incredibly tedious process. And I'm going to, I mean, this may be a bit, maybe wrong, but I'm going to suggest that maybe the writing or the information in, in the writing itself wasn't as detailed and complex because you, for, for someone like me writing women in pop, which is a, or which is a small publication, we don't have the resources of a massive global business behind us. You know, finding information um, around 40 years of someone's career would have been far more difficult. Um, I can imagine in, if I was writing this in 1983, for example, yeah, um, it, it would have been a very long process um, to, to do something like this. Whereas now, anything I, I, I couldn't remember about Madonna's career or uh, wanted more background information, it really is a couple of clicks away and, and you can find it straight away. The internet has made that aspect research certainly easier um, and, and it makes for richer um writing uh i don't believe online or the internet has made writing better um in any way shape or form like anything the internet enables 
a lot more crap to be to be available uh yeah. and there is some shocking writing on the internet just like there's some shocking artwork and there's some shopping shocking songs and there's some shocking yeah. uh you know retailers online um uh it, it gives every person the opportunity to to that the, the wants to put any writing on the internet out there regardless of how good or, or bad it is uh, so I don't think music journalism has improved uh, from pre-internet days. Um, it certainly makes it uh, easier to do research, but I don't think it's um, improved the, the craft um, that much. Right. There's a lot more to sift through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. There's far too much choice. You mentioned that you've only seen her a few times. Tell me which shows you've seen. First show I saw was the Girly Show when she came to Australia. That was the first time she had come to Australia. I was hoping nine, you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, Ninety-three, I think it was. Yeah, I'm, ter- I'm terrible on dates for live shows either. I could tell you the the music dates, but not the live shows. Did you see uh, the one that was that was recorded? I think I did. I, I saw it. Oh, I saw nice. it twice. I saw it in Melbourne and I saw it in Sydney. Um, I think. Yeah, I can't remember. I think what the, one of the Sydney ones that was recorded. Again, I don't know which one was recorded. Mm-hmm. I, I, I yeah. have vague memories of of it being mentioned. Um, I'm sure it was a Sydney show, but uh, Sydney. I believe it was Sydney. Also. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've saw the which which one was it? So you're going to really expose me here for how terrible I am. The reinvention tour in when I was living in the UK in London. Oh, nice. Uh, and then I saw the Rebel Heart tour when she came back to Australia for the first time in a hundred years in. 2016 was it so i've seen seen those three well i mean it's funny they said you're like my third native australian that guest who's been on this show i've had um wayne tungst from my 88 fm in australia uh mark andrews Mm -hmm. who wrote madonna song by song um and now you what do you think resonates so much with like australia and the love for madonna even though she like she she hasn't made it out there to tour with every tour but it seems like she has a very big impact there what do you what do you think it is yeah she does and i think it's it's a it's something that's common to a lot of other artists from the 80s uh i think it stems from that kind of period of the 70s and 80s and you'll see it in a lot of other artists from that period as well is that australia you know until fairly recently was really isolated. We were at the bottom of the world. Um, if you want to come here from the, the major, major, um, I guess, Western civilization, so America or Europe, it's a it's a really long plane trip. Um, you know, it's, it's 24 hours basically from here to, to the UK, for example. It's a long way. Um, and, and in the 80s, uh, you know, air travel and so on was, it was not, it, not at the level it is today. And artists just did not come to Australia. Um, there, it wasn't uh, like it is today where, you know, in Australia you would have, you know, in a normal world, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, you would regularly have major, major um, international artists coming to Australia either just to tour or even just for promotional reasons. They come and, and, and promote their, their latest release. That's that's common commonplace today. But in the 80s, it didn't really happen that much. And if if... If it did happen, it was a really major undertaking for someone to come across the world in a 24-hour flight with all the equipment they need to do a live show. So you can imagine if you're just going to bring a guitar and sing at a, at a pub, which is fine, it's not such a big deal. But if you're Madonna with a stage show like Madonna has, it is a major logistical operation to get everything out to, to Australia. So yeah. artists of that calibre came very, very rarely. So... The, the knock-on effect of that was we had a highly, highly developed uh, media appreciation of music. Uh, you you or your listeners of the podcast may have heard of a show called Countdown, which was mm-hmm. an Australian pop music program uh, that started in the 70s, I think, and it was on every Sunday night. And it was a major, major cultural uh, touchstone of, of Australia throughout the 70s, 80s and 80s. Yeah, it stopped in eighty. Seven, I think. Um, and because artists didn't come to Australia, we were very, very early adopters of music videos because that was the only way that you could really experience the artists, apart from on the radio. Uh, but, of course, music video was a much more personal um, and interactive medium because you got to see them perform. Right. So 
we were very big adopters of the music video and you had countdown on every week and they would play all the popular videos they would also have a top 10 and they'd show sections of the of the video each week and every week the, they would play the number one song of the week the video um, from beginning to end at the end of the show so we I guess grew up with seeing the same artists regularly on TV and TV is a much more intimate medium than going to a concert and seeing someone. It was free. It was in your home. You could watch it. So people would watch Countdown every single week and they would see these artists over and over again and they, they developed a, a big affinity to them. Um, so artists like Blondie, for example, is an, is an example. Blondie had a huge hit in Australia years before they broke anywhere else in the world because they were being played on Countdown and people could see them. Um, the same argument is put about Madonna as well, that she broke in Australia sooner than anywhere else because we were playing her video. Um, and that was the only way people could, could experience her. So, you know, it, it, she, she broke into our chart sooner than, than elsewhere in the world. So I, I, that's probably the reason why is because we, we were so exposed to her and other artists of the 80s as well via the TV screen, which probably didn't happen as much in um, overseas because it was a far more... I guess fragmented marketplace. Um, yeah, I don't know what it was like in the US in the '80s, but for example, Australia had maybe three TV channels um, in the '80s, and that was it. So you know, you you had very very limited choice. Countdown was massively popular. If you're seeing Madonna on your screen every single week as a ten year old, you you naturally develop an affinity with them. Um, and it's the same with a lot of artists from the '80s. You look at if you look at any big artists from the '80s, which may have been not forgotten, but not as big elsewhere in the world. You look at their, their streams on Spotify and Australia is one of the number one countries. Um, so you've got eyes like Blondie, Madonna, um, Bananarama um, have retained a, a, right, a yeah. passionate fan base in Australia. Um, and you look at their Spotify screens, s- streams, and their top, their top cities are Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, um, that type of thing. So I think, it's, I think it's due to the fact that these artists were beamed into our, our living rooms and... <laughs> We had nowhere yeah. else to go, so we were a captive audience, and we just um, we just absorbed them into our lives. Well, it's definitely fascinating and and uh, remarkable that they do have kind of like a a place to live there, so to yes. speak. Um, more so, like you were saying, even now as fans in the U.S., I think uh, Madonna fans are more fragmented, so they're kind of. They're not hard to find, but they are harder to find in like bigger groups mm. as like they once were in the eighties. Mm. Um, so it's always good to, I, I always find it fun to meet other fans and just sit there and chit chat for three to four hours about yes. like one small aspect about Madonna, you know, about how she went from blonde to brown to blonde again yeah. in 1989. Um, but, uh, to kind of go back and encapsulate these 40 years that have passed, she's releasing the Finally Enough Love 50 number one dance club hits. Are you excited about that? Is there any track or remix track that you're looking forward to that like, oh, yes, now I, I will finally have that or um, or just excited in general about the release at all? Yeah, Finally Enough Love was really, it's a really nice um, album to have. I love that it's a bit of a throwback to, you can dance um from from 87 um we don't really get remix albums anymore so i think it's a it's a lovely right. um it's a lovely nod to to that past and and, and her history with remix i think another thing that madonna revolutionized and she wasn't the only one to do this but was is a concept of a re- remix single um mm-hmm. I, i'm not i'm not i haven't studied this in any detail but i'm not convinced that many people were doing it um when she started doing it um in the early eighties. And I think she did it for nearly every single release she did, which again was probably rare for the time. Um, and I've always been a big fan of remixes. I, I've, I've, I loved the concept, particularly when I was younger of taking your favorite song and then changing it and making it something completely new. Um, and I was always, I was always intrigued by remixes and, and, and I love the concept of them. Um, I'm not convinced they're as good as they used to be, but maybe that's um, one <laughs> element of grumpiness of old age. I'll, I'll, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll admit to, um, or maybe they just don't thrill me the way they used to because they're not as new and fascinating anymore. But I, I really like, finally enough, love. Um, I love the concept of it. Uh, I, I guess if I'm going to pick at it, I, I, I kind of wish there was some 
brand new remixes on there that were more more brand. I know there's a couple on there that have never been heard before. Uh, yeah. but I would have loved there to be a, a few newly commissioned remixes um, and not just of Frozen. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know that uh, that would have been a nice touch. But uh, um, I, in all honesty, I haven't you know I haven't listened to to all of it yet, and there's more evidence of a bad fan than I have. I was actually sent a I've I've got a pre-release stream of the whole fifty. Um, 50 track oh wow i haven't touched it yet so I, I really need to um to set aside time to to, to listen to all that um well but, feel free to send it my way because yeah. <laughs> the 50 the 50 track has not been released yet that comes no, out i believe no. august 19th yeah um in celebration of her birthday i uh, i am imagining uh yes. the 16 track has been released which i've i've like you know listened to a few tracks from there more so of the ones that um are exclusive to the release mm. than the ones that are already available out there. Uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm excited about like, it's a new project. It's being released around her birthday. It's celebrating her 40 years. Um, but I'm also really excited about these re-releases, which we've heard mm. zero about, um, aside from the fact that they're going to do it, but we had so many anniversaries. We have, who's that girl? We haven't seen anything. This used to be my playground. We didn't see anything. It would have been cool if if they released the the record store day um, exclusive on vinyl of the Who's That Girl and Causing a Commotion remixes. It would have been cool to see those on streaming, mm. uh, or at least the the three track single of the Seasmoo Playground would have been a good one to to put out there for mm. everyone. Um, but I'm I'm really excited to see if we're gonna get something for Erotica or not. It's that's in October, right? So yeah, um, there's not much time between now and then. So I'm hoping something comes out soon about one of these new re-releases. Yeah. The re-releases are interesting. It's something I'm looking forward to as well. Um, in, I mean, I mean, in a bit of a two minds about it, really, I know one thing I've always loved about Madonna is that she, or she's always said, um, I'm not interested in going back and looking at the past. Doesn't, doesn't interest me. I always just want right. to go on and, and do new things. In many ways, I, I was slightly disappointed about the, the volume of Frozen remixes we got over and over and over and over (laughs) again. Um, I love the fact that it's been successful for her and she's reaching a new audience, but I was a little bit, really, do we need, do you, do you, you, you'd never used to do this. Why are we, why are we revisiting a song that's 20, 30 years old? um, Over and over. Spending four months promoting it. Yeah. Yeah. So in many ways I like the. I actually really, I know a lot of fans and again, Many of my opinions don't sit well with some fans, I'm sure, but I actually really like the fact that we haven't had multiple reissues of the same album over and over and over again from Madonna with yeah. tracks added to it. I really like the fact that her albums sit as they are, as as pure and as and untouched as just um, albums that she released in 1986, and you have one version of it. I know there's been you know a couple of versions with one or two remixes tacked on the end, mm-hmm. but I actually quite like and I quite respect the fact that we. Um, we haven't been subjected to 10 versions of, you know, the like a prayer album or whatever it may be. Um, right. Having said that, I I'm fascinated by anything that you would have in the archives and any demos. And, you know, I, I love all that, that shit. I, I would, you know, I love the process of creating a song and, 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 and demo versions um, and all that type of thing. And I think yeah. there could be a demo version of, which I think there probably is of like a prayer out there would, you know, send me into a meltdown of excitement um i think patrick leonard released a demo of, of it or he did i think for the 30th anniversary or maybe it was around the 30th or, or something like that where um someone found it somewhere mm. and it was put up for auction and he released it yeah. he didn't like that so he went yeah. ahead and just released what he had which yeah. was um i think like a, a demo of that and i believe express yourself and maybe cherish mm. Yeah. Or Angels with Dirty Faces. I believe yes, that was released yes. as well by yeah. Patrick Leonard. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it would be cool to get some like demos on this re-release. But honestly, if they just cleaned up some of the sound mm. uh, and don't just try to like raise the volume, which they, yes. which I feel like they did on those original remasters that they did for the first three albums, um, I kind of would like you know the people that are doing the Beatles re-releases doing the new mixes for the for, for mm. those albums to work on some of those Madonna albums. Cause they did a really good job of, you know, equalizing the sound and, and making it feel very, um, uh, what's the word full and, and thick, uh, mm. 
not that her music is missing that, but you know, like older stuff that has been transferred to CD or yeah. cassette or whatever, it, it, it loses some of that, that, um, that kind of definition around the, the sonics of, of the mm-hmm. music itself. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm open if they just want to release the album again, but remaster the sound properly. Uh, although based on celebration, I don't have a lot of faith that they will do it the right way. So my thing is like, I can't get my expectations high. I can't get my, my hopes high. I just have to just, I don't know. I'll get excited as the stuff gets released, even if it's not something I'll listen to, if it's, if it's not listenable um, based on how they remaster it, I, it would be definitely something cool to look at as it gets re-released. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, despite any misgivings I have, I'm sure I'll buy it in <laughs> the 10 formats I release it in. And I, yeah, that's what I want. I want them to, re- I want them to really release long boxes. I want them to put mm-hmm. it back in cassettes. Like I want 45s packaged. I want like the mm-hmm. whole shebang. I want everything, uh, preferably like a prayer. Um, yes. That's the one that I'd be most excited about. But, you know, Whatever happens, happens. I, I'm I'm interested to see how this all plays out. Yes, definitely. I mi- I missed the finally enough love six vinyl edition, whatever it was. It sold out before I got to it, so I'm annoyed oh, no. about that. So uh, I'll need to get in early for everything else. Yeah. Well, hopefully a record store or something. Maybe you can name drop. Get yourself get yourself a free copy. Yeah, <laughs> Say hey, to. I work for Women and Pop magazine, and I need that six disc version so we can write a review on it. Yes. Yeah. um well i want to thank you for spending this time with me today it's it's been such a pleasure talking to you about your article um i will tell my listeners to go out to womeninpop.com where you can order the magazine uh the newest issue with madonna on the cover as well as go ahead and get yourself uh issue number six with lady gaga on the cover so that you can get the full write-up on like a prayer which i plan on getting as well um, but where else can people go to say hi to you or check out things that you're working on or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, the website. And you can also visit us on all the, well, not all of them, uh, most of the social medias are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We haven't, we haven't, um, moved over to TikTok yet, but, um, I need to start thinking about that. Uh, I haven't I'll, either. So <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Our, our handle is very simple. It's at Women in Pop on, on all of those platforms. So please come and join us. Um, we'd love to have you and keep up to date with all the incredible female artists that are out there. Um, Madonna's just one of them. She's the best, but she's just one of them. Can you give people a hint of, of who you're thinking about next? Yeah, we're actually we're planning, we're planning the next issue now. Um, we've got a few people. We're looking into... To anniversaries now to, to nail down um, nail down a feature uh, on anniversaries but you know I'm also thinking maybe there might be a bit of Kate Bush in it um, given oh, cool. her, her resurgence um, this year with um, the incredible running up at the, uh, running up that hill yeah um, so that's potentially on the cards um, and a few other uh, lovely Swedish artists by the name of Tovlo or Tuve Tuvelu Tuvelu um, I swear I did not know how to pronounce her name until she was on RuPaul's Drag Race this past yeah. season. I always yeah. thought it was um, Tovlo. And yeah. then when she was on RuPaul's Drag Race and they pronounced it Tuve Lu. And I'm like, I never knew that that's how it was pronounced. <laughs> I knew it wasn't pronounced Tove, but I don't. We had actually interviewed her a couple of years ago and, um, uh, and just called it Tove the whole way through. So <laughs> we probably looked a bit foolish. Oh, okay. I'm sure she's used to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I will throw in the running if you want to do an, uh, an issue on Pat Benatar or Cheryl Crow. I'd, I'd love uh, to see this. Yes. I or, think they have had some definite uh, um, contributions as yes. women in the music industry. Uh, Pat Benatar has recently um, decided to not sing Hit Me With Your Best Shot anymore live oh, really? um, due to all the gun violence. And she's like, I'm just not going to do it anymore. So. Okay. You'll get other hits, but you're not going to get that one. Yeah. So I, I I give her props for standing her around no, and, no, and speaking up. Yeah, all all suggestions are welcome. We'd love to hear what <laughs> people w- want want to read about um, 
the magazine isn't made purely for my own pleasure. <laughs> so we, we, <laughs> want to, we want to hear about what other people want to read about. So thank you for that. Little, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to um, having the magazine in my hands so I can uh, have fun and look at all the pictures and reread the article and, and read some new articles and learn about some new artists as well. So Perfect. thank you again, Paul. Thank you, man. All right. Well, thank have you. a great time. Uh, have a great day. It's daytime in, yes. in your neck of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. nighttime here. Um, but yes, have a great day. And Thanks I look forward me. to catching up with you soon. Right. Thanks, Wayne. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye.